Greetings, everyone. My name is Eric Stewart from Fishing Fanatics, and I'm super excited today with the guest we have on the podcast, Whit Edmonds. He's been doing some collegiate fishing in his past at Lander University, and he traveled around the country doing these different tournaments for MLF, Bassmasters, and ACA. Now he currently works at Z-Man Fishing. So, Whit, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Um, excited for the weekend. How about you? Dude, me too. I'm, I'm ready to party a little bit. There you go. Yeah, man. Um, so real quick off the bat, college fishing, it's one of those things that, you know, I'm not too familiar with growing up in the PA area. It's always when I was growing up, it's always, you know, you do baseball or you go into this like like I played college baseball and I grew up that way and I got people kind of going like that. But I just have to ask you, is it kind of similar with fishing? Do people like find you when you're fishing these tournaments? And did your high school team have like a fishing team or how did that kind of work? Yeah, so college fishing is kind of its own animal because um, it really wasn't, it really hadn't been a lo- around for but just a few years before I started college. Um, and I feel like my time in college, the atmosphere of it changed every year. And it, it always changes for the better. I mean, you get better anglers. Um, the organizations find better ways to run it. And it, it it's getting better every year, but it is changing. Um, one of the interesting things about me is I actually didn't fish high school. Um, I didn't have the, the opportunity and high school fishing is a great thing and I would have loved to do it. Um, my school simply didn't have a team. So I fished, um, pretty much all my tournaments were on Lake Murray, South Carolina. Um, just a lot of little pickup tournaments. Occasionally I'd hop in something affiliated with TBF or that sort of thing. But um, I actually was found through social media. Um, so that's that's how I kind of got on board. And I started talking to the, at the time, the president of the team. And he got me up there to tour the school and talk to him about the team. And I really liked Lander University. And I liked all the people on the team that I met. Um, and kind of was kind of set on going there and fishing in college after that. But there's, there's so many ways you get recruited. Um, I actually, at one point, I had a, another school try and give me a scholarship to leave Lander, but um, we, we've recruited most of our people from the high school series. Um, you'll see a lot of college coaches at high school weigh-ins, but we've recruited people that we've found through all sorts of tournament trails as well. Um, we've got one guy, or well, I say we've got, but I've graduated now, but there's one guy at Lander who's just qualified for the, um, for the MLF invitationals. Um, and he was, um, he was found more so through tournaments, I believe. Um, so you don't have to be a high school fisherman to start on college. And it's still one of those things you can be a walk on as well. Um, you don't have to get found by a college either. But there really are so many ways to get involved. So how many guys do you guys carry on those teams? Like how, what's like a normal team look like? Um, you, you'll see it all over the place. Um, some of the schools you hear about a lot, like Bethel and Adrian and Carson Newman have a ton of guys. But um, there's some teams that don't have but two people, just one boat. Um, you know, a lot of teams have – um, a lot of teams have maybe 
20 guys or so. I want to say when I left Lander, we, when I started at Lander, we probably had somewhere in the 10 to 15 person range. When I left, we probably had, I think upwards of 30. Um, and I believe I've heard they've gotten a lot more now. Um, they've, they've gotten it to be a pretty good and big program, but, um, but yeah, it's, um, it only take, it only takes one guy to make a team. Um, you're supposed to fish as pairs, but you don't necessarily have to. So it, it really, you, you can have a college fishing team with one guy, essentially. That's pretty cool. That's pretty funny to think like, I'm just out there fishing. I'm one guy, but I fish for, you know, one of these big time schools is pretty cool. Um, oh yeah. Is like a varsity is it like a varsity makeup and JV makeup or is it like two people make the varsity team and fish or do you guys like have multiple boats in, in certain tournaments? Yeah. So that's, that's one of the things where college fishing becomes a lot more interesting than how other sports are set up because it's um, because there's so many ways that that is done. Um, so normally Lander, we'd have multiple boats at any tournament we went to. I think I only ever fished one tournament. It was on Pickwick and we were the only lander boat there and only reason is because we didn't fish a ton of the ACA but we wanted to get that national championship spot on Lake Murray so we we hopped in that but um a lot of schools will send all of their boats a lot of schools will only send a percentage depending how big it is um some schools will start a program where certain teams get can get funded to go but anybody can pay their own way to go. So that's how Landers um, started doing it, I believe. And there's always, most every team will find a fair way to do it. There's a lot of in-state tournaments that happen in the fall, and that's often how that's decided. So you'll kind of, whoever's leading in points in those will kind of um, be the essentially the travel team that gets funded, but... A lot of schools, even if you don't make that, you can still fund your way. And um, and when I was at Lander, we pretty much anyone that wanted to go could go and get at least their housing funded um, and as much as we could with afford with the budget. But that's one of those things that changes every year. Um, and there's that's, that's that's kind of the setup most of the bigger programs do is they they fund as many people as they can but once you get to a certain size programs tend to go to a more of a travel team and then the other people can pay their way that makes sense and it's so is it a lot of fundraising or is a lot of it like sponsorships from like big grants um it kind of depends um lander lander we did we did a lot of sponsorships and the school would help us some. Um, some teams, the schools don't help them at all and it's all fundraising and you may see them do a fundraiser tournament or they maybe they go out and everyone on the team has to get one sponsor in order to have funding for that sort of thing. Um, there's other teams whose schools help them a ton. Um, it depends on the school, but um, but yeah, it's the biggest part you usually see if a school has funding is going to be kind of a mix of mix of everything, um, particularly sponsorships and school funding, and it also has a little bit to depend on whether it's a 
club or a team because to fish these college tournaments, you don't have to be a, in under your athletic program. You can form a club at a fishing club at your school and you can still be competitive. Gotcha. Uh, totally. That totally all makes sense. And then the, so you're out there fishing tournaments and everything, right? I'm sure you're friends with everyone on the team. You guys are just having a good time. Is there any story that like pops out to you of like maybe one guy on the team that had got a little carried away, maybe fell off the boat, anything like that, like pops out to you of your whole college experience fishing? I mean, there, there's a, there's a million stories. I mean, from just being stranded on the great lakes to change to changing brakes on the side of the interstate to, I mean, you name it, we we've done it. Um, when you're traveling like that, anything can happen. Um, like, like one of the funniest things, just cause you, you mentioned someone falling off the boat. <laughs> we were, um, one time we took two boat, me and some friends took two boats down to Lake Lanier and, um, and, uh, one of the guys wanted to hop on the other guy's boat to fish for a little bit. So he had borrowed my fishing partner's life jacket little known to me his, his it was an inflatable life jacket that didn't work and um he hopped off the boat and he fell right in the water between the boats and he was holding the life jacket and all of a sudden i heard my partner start screaming don't let the life jacket sink but um oh. but there's all kind of crazy expensive too dude yeah <laughs> those things are expensive you don't want to lose one of them oh yeah but um but yeah, there's all, all kind of crazy things. Um, a lot of my favorite stories are more about um, during tournaments, just trying to kind of keep your fish a little bit of a secret during pre-fishing, um, especially on Tennessee River. Uh, there, was, there was one time I got kind of, I, I fished Pickwick more than any of the other lakes in the college series. I, I got to know it pretty well. And I got to where I do this thing to kind of hide my fish from people because I quickly realized that if you put your trolling motor down out out on a ledge out there people watch you and they watch you hard um so there was one time I was graphing and graphing and graphing just like everybody does and I was so far away from the ledge and it was so obvious I was not on a ledge anymore I was just out in like 15 foot of water in no man's land and I found a I found a whole bunch of timber and um, so I stopped my boat without thinking about it. I wanted to um, pan optics around kind of and drag a football jig through it and just kind of see what it was about um, and I cast my football jig out there and as soon as I cast it I looked around I realized there were two other boats about 100 yards from me and they had both stopped and one of the guys you could tell he had slammed it in reverse and he was it was so obvious I was being watched. And about as soon as I realized that, I felt a big old thump on my rod. So I, so what I did was I trolling motored perfectly. So right on the edge of the boat where the passenger seat was, the passenger seat was just blocking about six inches of that little edge of the boat from those other two boats. So I pointed my rod straight at the fish I started reeling like I was just cranking it back. Just started looking around like nothing was going on. And I just as slyly as I could boat just drug it right over the edge. 
and all in one motion, drug it over the edge where they couldn't see it, strapped my rod down, pulled the trolling motor up, started driving off. And as I was driving off, my partner, Bobby, unhooked the fish and tossed them in the water. Let's go, a little grab and go. A little <laughs> yeah. grab and go. That's and I don't think they ever knew. <laughs> yeah, because the, the only way you find that spot, right, you're just out there searching for it. That's yeah, I mean, that, that's all it is. There's nothing on the map at all. It's just is one of those things you, you're you're graphing for three days of pre-fishing and eventually you run out of obvious stuff and you you start to I mean a lot of times when we're like when we're out there that long we just start thinking and while we're thinking we kind of drive off into wherever and sometimes we happen to find something while we're thinking about what to do next and that was one of those times Yep, absolutely. And that kind of brings me to my next question. And it's one of these things that, you know, I've been thinking about purchasing. And that's a uh, that's a live scope. So what are your thoughts on live scopes? You like them? You don't like them? Kind of. You know, it's everyone calls it a game changer. And it, it is it it makes the world of the difference. One thing you have to remember, though, is you're not going to hook you're not going to get any more bites just because you have live scope. It's still fishing. You still have to find a way to get those fish to bite. But what it does come in handy with is just breaking apart down a lake really fast. Um, and it makes it so much easier to find a brush. You don't have to fish as long, like for cane pile fishing, which we do a lot in South Carolina, you don't have to sit there and cast at every cane pile to see if you can call them out. You you know on your first cast if they're in there because you can see them poke their heads out. But um, that doesn't mean you're going to catch it anymore. You know, I mean, if you throw a top water over that cane pile with live scope or without live scope, um, it's doing the same thing as long as it goes over the cane pile. Yeah, so I think that's where a lot of people. <laughs> But I think that's what a lot of people don't think about is it, it's still fishing. Like when I first got it, I thought that I was going to instantly be making my money back. But tournament finish wise, I don't think it really changed that much for me. I think more or less it just saved me some time and energy during pre-fishing, if anything. Um, it just helped me figure out those fish fish's position a lot quicker. I like it. That's that's great insight there because kind of that's what I thought, you know, live scope. Oh, I'll catch I'll catch more fish. There you go. Lock it in. But no, that totally makes sense. It's like they still got to bite. They still got to be hungry. Right. Yeah. Now, is it worth the money? Um, I mean, if you're a serious fisherman and you can afford it, it's it's absolutely worth the money. I mean, it's amazing technology and it it's going to help you a lot. and You're going to have a lot of fun with it. But but you, you do have to have to remember that it, it is still no matter how many graphs you get it's it's still just you with a rod in your hand and a bait on the other end yeah ain't that the truth but um so how about what's your go go-to lure you had to pick one lure throw for the rest of your life what do you yeah I, it it kind of depends being from lake murray uh, i've a huge huge on fishing top waters and um, working flukes super fast across the top of the water and small swim baits like Seville's. Um, but when I'm, 
when I started fishing college and going around the country, I had to kind of learn, you can't do that everywhere you go. It's, it's a very, very selective thing. Um, so I, I've always been a pretty big finesse fisherman and I had to choose one bait. I'd probably choose a Ned rig with a Z-Man TRD and a Z-Man finesse shrooms. That's something, whether I'm down in Florida fishing, um, edges of grass lines or up on the great lakes catching big smallmouth off rock piles um and everywhere in between i feel like i can catch a fish on a dead rig I'll tell you what I'll, I'll give you guys some credit because i got buddies that fish them in creeks and i fish them in lakes and they just catch fish that net oh yeah that's produced at z-man dynamite oh yeah yeah and it's so great because it it's a last tech too so it's you don't have to do anything to make it stand up. If it's sitting on the bottom and you let it sit there, it's going to slowly stand up and it gives it the, that same profile that a crawfish that's trying to be defensive would give off them trying to stand up and look. And I mean, it's just such a natural profile and it's such an easy little meal for all kinds of fish. That kind of brings me into my next point. Um, I know I mentioned in the beginning you work at Z-Man Fishing and just doing some research, I saw you on their TikTok page. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Give me a little bit of what, what you do there and kind of what, what your day-to-day -day looks like. Yeah, so it, it's kind of all over the place. Um, I was hired on to run their customer service. So that's my main priority is um, making sure we have the fastest response time as we can get and keeping our all of our customer service inquire inquiries handled and making those customers as happy as I can possibly make them and finding ways to improve our business based off of customer suggestions as well because we we love our customers feedback um, but since working there I've definitely taken on some new responsibilities um, I get to help out in a lot of departments. Um, uh, one of the things is TikTok. I kind of I kind of manage the TikTok. Um, so I, most of the videos on there are ones that I do. Um, we try and do about two of them a week, and also kind of help out with some engagement on some other social media platforms. And um, right now I'm planogramming and setting up our. Um, our product line that we're bringing to one of our distributor shows coming up. But um, I do a lot of stuff. Usually I start out on a day, I go through our web orders, try and fix any of the problems that we had the night before with customers' orders. Um, then I go through customer service emails and return all their phone calls, release anything on credit hold. And then after that, I may help out with some tasks that the sales team assigns to me, such as planning for those shows. And um, a lot of the shows I get to go to and help out as well. And then I may make a TikTok or occasionally we'll go do a photo shoot. And um, it, it's kind of nice because um, being with, with my position and where I'm and as early as I am in my career, um, Z-Man, really allows me to get experience in so many of those fields and it's it's a lot of fun and it's a great work environment it's the biggest thing man and same thing to hear it's like it's it's so much fun to jump around and learn different things like you could just jump around go tiktok 
help out the sales team, and I'm sure you're doing a bunch of other stuff. I got to ask, the, um, you know, I got a lot of buddies who are looking for careers in the fishing industry, and they're just trying to figure it out, trying to trying to work for a company like Z-Man Fishing. How did you get the job at Z-Man? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the biggest the biggest thing. I know when I was in college, I was seeing all of my friends get all these jobs at different companies, particularly around here. We have um, pure fishing and rather outdoors and lots of my friends that were getting jobs there. So I was in that same boat not long ago trying to figure out how they got on. Um, me personally, I actually found it on LinkedIn and it wasn't necessarily even a job posting I found. It was actually a personal post by um, the guy who's now my boss um, and he was just asking if there's anybody who's knowledgeable about fishing that would be interested in working their customer service. So I um, shot connected with him and shot him a message and ended up with the job. And um, that's one of those things my business professors in college preached to me so hard was how important LinkedIn it was. And as a college kid, I more or less just wanted to promote my fishing. I wasn't LinkedIn was kind of boring to me, but I mean, it's, um, I mean, it's such a, now that I'm in the industry, it's such a fun app because you can, for one thing, you can find jobs like just the same way I did, but, um, you can also meet people, um, all over the industry. Just like I'm just like I connected with you on LinkedIn. Um, and it really is a great tool and not just that, but everyone you meet, when you're in college and anyone you meet that's on the college fishing tour, or even just your friends that are, um, that are interested in fishing, maintaining those connections is so important because I, I never realized just how many people I, I knew from fishing that were also going to end up in the industry and are now meaningful connections I have with other businesses as well. So the biggest thing is just connecting and keeping up with everyone that you meet. Yeah, and and put yourself out there, right? Don't be afraid to to bother someone. You know, people like hearing out from from young people that are interested in the fishing community. So it's funny your story and my my story are kind of like the same exact way. How I got you know working at Bad Rhino, I reached out to the owner and we had an interview and I got the job. That's funny. Yeah, it's funny, man. Um, so I know you mentioned about, you know, the different expos you guys got um, coming up and can you got any coming up like soon that you can like share with us so I can share with uh, the listeners? Yeah, the, the um, soonest public events we'll be at is going to be the classic where we're at every year and we should be at the Redcrest event for MLF this year as well. Um, so those will both be in March, I believe, and we'll have our team out there. We'll have a whole lot of products at our booth, um, to show people and, um, we'll be happy to talk to anybody and answer any questions they could possibly have about Z-Man or fishing. Nice. And with, um, one last question here, where can people order some Z-Man baits like that Ned rig that we talked about? Yeah. Um, there's a ton of places you can get it. Most of your big sporting goods stores now have it, like Bass Pro, um, Cabela's, Tackle Warehouse, Discount Tackle, or 
all have a great selection of our baits. Um, and anytime you can't find a bait from one of your tackle local or online tackle dealers, we also open up our website just in case there's something you can't find, you can order it directly from us. Awesome. And gotta say, man, I appreciate you coming on this podcast, spending some time with me talking about tournaments, talking about fishing. We got to do it again sometime. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you had me. I really enjoyed this. You just listened to the Fishing Fanatics podcast with your host, Eric Stewart. Feel free to check out our other podcasts and our other interviews on our channel, on Spotify, YouTube, and much more. Check out our Instagram page, TikTok, and Facebook as well.